Gen X Playback, episode number 37. Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And when you are listening to the world-famous Great Duran Duran, we want to give some love to our listeners in over on the other side of the pond, as, as I like to say, over in the great country of England. Unfortunately, that's all we get as far as our... Um, we don't have a town? We don't have a town. Okay. So, but I figured it'd be, if maybe by chance, because Duran Duran does hail from Birmingham, mm-hmm. that I thought it might be a, an opportunity to give some, give a shout out to um, the wonderful country of England, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, England, and Northern Ireland, that we do have listeners over on that side of the world, and we want to welcome them to the Gen X Playback Show, and thanks for listening for such a long time. Well, and you're playing, as you know, my favorite Duran Duran song of all time. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I thought maybe this was going to be our new intro for every week. I'm I, fine with that, by the I, way. I know you. Had, I know you had talked about that, and that's why I wanted to. Because uh, when we were doing our sound check, I'm like, hey, you want to pop your earphones out there for a minute? And for our listeners over in England, we literally—I'm not making this up. We were just talking English Premier Football right before we went on the air. We were, and that was. Uh, we happened to. Uh, we are fans of the uh, English Premier League, and. Contrary to all the other sports that we follow, and Sean and I are, are lockstep with all the other sports and all the other teams that we have followed throughout our entire lives, but yet we sort of made a conscious decision to kind of go separate ways when it comes to following the English Premier League team. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between us and and my boys, and you know, so we have fans of uh, Tottenham, which is you know one of the best. Uh, Absolutely. You know, there's uh, there's teams out there now. Connor and myself, we decided to go a little the other direction. We figured it's best to start from the bottom. So uh, Connor is a fan of Everton, and I jumped on the Nottingham Forest bandwagon last year, and uh, the the trees are doing quite well so far. They're in 13th place. Well, your son Gavin and I made a decision a number of years ago that we were going to take our time, we were going to pick a team, and that we agreed that we would pick the same team. At, at the end of the um, like year or two exercise that we had as as we explored who we wanted to follow, and we both picked Tottenham. And I, I have been to London. You know, it's been a few years. It's been about a decade, I think, since I've been over there. But it is definitely on my must-do list 
to go over and uh, catch a Tottenham game. All right. So back in the saddle again, Sean. Mm-hmm. So it's my turn. And I thought it would be, it's, it's right around the right time for us to play and name that tune. And I had asked you ahead of time without giving you the actual, uh, you know, the specific week. I said, do you want to stay in the 80s or, or do you want to do something different? You said, you know, we really need to give a little bit more attention to the 90s because the 90, 90s was such a uh, unique decade. Yeah, the 80s obviously sandwiched between the 70s and the 90s. And, and I had jokingly, you know, I was telling you about how I've discovered the 90210, Beverly Hills 90210 channel on Pluto mm-hmm. and how I find myself just utterly fascinated with watching these episodes again because of all the pop culture, all the 90s pop culture that is in packed into these shows. And I just thought, you know, uh, you had said about doing something in the 90s. And I thought, what a fun year for you and I was probably that first summer of the 90s, which was the summer of 1990. Okay. Which is why we're going to explore um, right around my birthday, which is the beginning of July 1990. So it's July 8th, 1990 is the uh, the Billboard um, Hot 100 that we're going to focus on in this particular episode. Another thing I found interesting when I was looking that stuff up, Sean, was the fact that there's three songs that were actually pretty pretty popular that are no longer available like on the Spotify playlist. And yeah, you had said that. So what I decided to do a little bit differently than before because the last time we did a, a, a Name That Tune was nineteen eighty nine was january of 1989 and there was only one song missing and that would believe it or not that was an anita baker song that's right yeah that was not available so i'm not as surprised with the songs that are no longer available for for listening on spotify so we'll we'll just kind of go through a little bit of a uh, just a little background on who the artist was not that there's a lot available on them but I, I can tell you that all three are part of the New Jack Swing Which movement. I, like you, really enjoyed. But I, I think New Jack... So the New Jack Swing artists, they're not a part of this. I mean, they, they're not on Spotify. All three happen to be uh, kind of that New Jack huh. Swing sound. Interesting. And I think, it's, I think it's interesting to note because if you listen to the songs, you can use, listen to them on YouTube. I'll give the names of the songs and who the artists were. I had no problems pulling them up on another server. But when I give you the name of the artist and you listen to it, they sound so much alike. It was like the, the, the record companies just, they started churning them out much like the heavy metal music, much like, you know, new Jack swing at that point had been around for probably two, three, four years. And there was a lot of great new Jack swing music. And then when these songs came out, you could really tell, where the production kind of like you know disco grabbed a hold by mm-hmm. the record companies. I think you're gonna you're gonna, but you would probably agree if you pull these up and listen to them on on a different uh, service that you would probably agree like yeah these have a really similar sound to them. Okay. So, all right. So what I thought we were gonna what I thought we should do is the fact that numbers forty three because there's three of them on this list that are no longer available on Spotify. So I thought it'd be good to, to go with numbers 43, 42, and 41. So you're doing the top 40. We're basically doing the top 40, but I'm replacing the ones that aren't available. And we're just going to start with number 43. Okay. Okay. So we're doing 40 songs tonight uh, you know, for our, for our podcast. 
And the three songs, like I said, you'll get Sean will get these right away. I have no doubt that he's going to pick up. But this is going to be a very challenging uh, top forty for Sean to, to navigate through because okay. I can tell you there's going to be some songs he's gonna, probably going to say I don't think I've ever heard that song. <laughs> really? All right. And and there's gonna there are definitely some um, some songs that you uh, you're going to recognize very well. It, it's it's very much hit or miss. Okay. Uh, with with this particular, there's going to be songs that you hear all the time now, and then there's going to be songs you're going to be like, wow, I've either never heard it or I haven't heard it since 1990. So. Okay, let's start out with number 43, and Sean will have no problems getting getting this first one. No coat. Wow, poor guy. Are you imagining the video? I, I am, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we definitely got the title of the song by heart. All I want to do is make love to you. Yes. But this, you know, this is, I think, a well-known song for sure. most of our listeners. As you're right, the, I, I had no problem with that. The What's interesting, though, is, I mean, that's a Mutt Lang mm-hmm. written song. And I heard Anne Wilson say that, you know, it was originally writ- written like reverse, like from a, a male perspective. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then okay. so, I mean, it makes a little more sense. Sure. You know, I, I often thought it's kind of strange that a woman just is picking up a random guy in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, the story, there were songs like this that were written an awful lot in like the 1970s, like the singer-songwriter, where I, I think I talked about it in our country crossover with Kenny Rogers, where he's telling a story in a three-minute song. Okay. And this is really that that format. She's telling a story in a three-minute song, and... You didn't get a lot of that at this time period, you know, late 80s, early 90s. No, there wasn't much of that. No. And I think, to me, that's what really makes the song stand out. That's part of what makes it so memorable is I'm right along the story with her as she's singing it because not so many songs are, are that easy to follow along with. Right. Now, it, this is not a song that I dislike. But I, I'm, you know, I was never a huge fan of it. I To me, it seemed... Um, I mean, when I found out that was written by Mutt Lang, it made a lot of sense. But it, it seemed like there was a formula sure. being used in a way. And well, I don't dislike that. I mean, I, I know that was part of the Motown sound when they would, you know, have certain formulas and all the songs were kind of similar. Um, but, you know, with this one, like, I never hated it, but it, it was never one of my favorite heart songs. Yeah. And 
Heart changed their their the way that they played music from the seventies. You know, they were extremely hard rocking band in the seventies to more of a streamline, but it was still they were still considered a rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. And this was certainly a step away from a rock and roll sound. And it was it was a little bit more low key, a little bit more laid back, a little bit more uh, acoustic driven because you can hear Nancy playing the acoustic guitar in the background. So yeah, it was it was it was another take on, and it was a very successful song. It, ended it was up going in the top. 10. It was now I don't I don't know Nancy's take on it, but I know Anne's not a big fan of the song. Sure, and I you know I can kind of see why you know where she you know you knew it was going to be popular probably when the moment they recorded it said oh that's going to be hit mm-hmm. you know we i don't know who the producer was but you know mutt lang written song it, you know it, it it's going to tick all the boxes people are going to love this thing and she's probably like yeah great but <laughs> you know it is what it is like i said i don't hate the song right so if if our listeners out there if you love that song in no way am i bashing it it's right. just that there are other heart songs that i liked a lot more well the name of the album is brigade and the song is All I Want to Do is Make Love to You by Heart. That was number 43. So going to number 42, another very well-known artist we've talked about many times on the show. That the title club at the end of the street it is well, that's elton john yeah very distinctive voice you know it, and this is definitely a song where where i, I certainly remember it yeah. easily i don't think it gets played a lot today it doesn't and of elton john's kind of his later work this ranks up there pretty high for me i uh, it's just it's it's a happy song it's yeah. just a very happy and for for Sir Elton John to, you know, he had reunited with Bernie Taupin about a few years before this album came out, which is uh, called Sleeping With The Past. But I know they were really given a lot of accolades for, for this song because they combined a little bit of the, they were trying to go for kind of a New Orleans sound. You can kind of hear it in the background. Okay. And so it was just, it was basically, it was, uh, you know, the critics really liked like Bernie and Elton making music again together. Sure. And it's, you know, he talked about a formula. Yeah, Elton, for the better part of the 80s, you know, worked without Bernie Talbot. He did, right. And then they, you know, they had a, they, they came together again. I think it was in 1988 is when they started writing songs. I, I, I kind of remember an appearance in Arsenio, on the Arsenio Hall show where the two of them are together and they were kind of making a big deal out of those two re- reuniting. Right. Yeah. And I this, like that. And, and, you know, I 
while I wasn't in love with the with the heart song because I liked other songs, you I I am in lockstep with you with that. From this era, that would be the sound of Elton John that I really like. Yeah, I mean, it really does for me. It, it I just I heard it on Sirius not too long ago, and I was I, I just remember yeah I just remember how much I really enjoyed that song. It, it just for me it brings back a happy time and, and happy memories. For, and and for I that think that's a good way to describe it. You know, happy. And I I don't know why, why as we will move forward in the decade that some people don't want to be happy. You know, some of the music becomes <laughs> right. pretty sad and uh, depressed. Where that's why I probably struggled with it. As will you know, we get into like ninety two or three or so, kind of with the grunge era, is because I was happy. And yeah. I like the happy music. Well, there's there's a song that that Rod Stewart had out almost around the same time, and it was uh, it was like bringing over the, some of those old Motown records. Remember mm-hmm. how bouncy? Oh, yeah. This, yeah. Very, they're very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. they they and they came out around the same time, and I just thought they it's almost like they they wrote the songs at the same time together. And I just, um, but yeah, it's 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 just a very happy bouncy song. Yep, and, good song. Number, that was number 42, Club at the End of the Street from Elton John, Sleeping with the Past is the album. Uh, I don't think Sean will have any any problems coming up with number 41. This is, this is going into his wheelhouse for this time period. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we're getting into a song where I know every word of the song. You could suspend the uh, the suspension. Or should I say this? Sure. This is the uh, the L.A. Guns yeah. and the Ballad of Jane. And Scott, you're not lying. This was my wheelhouse. Oh sure. I mean, I I I'm not gonna bore everybody and give you every detail, but I could name every member of L.A. Guns. I could I could I mean, this was off the out the Cockton Loaded album. I can't even tell you that Tom Warman produced this album. <laughs> I, I obviously had this one and just wore it out. I had this when it was a tape. Sure. I, yeah. I think, And then I eventually got the CD, but I think it's still in 1990, I still probably was buying some tapes. Well, those those folks who, who listened to or watched MTV, certainly one of the, one of the quintessential shows on MTV at this point is Headbangers Ball. Mm-hmm. And... Anybody in the hard rock music scene, you had to be on on Headbangers Ball. I think that's probably what I remember L.A. Guns from being on, like seeing them on TV. Okay, is seeing them on Headbangers Ball. Had Ricky Rathman taken over the show at this point? Um, that's a good question. It's right around that. It time. is around that time. Yeah, because I know he, this guy came on and kind of blew me away because he was friends with all these bands. Yeah. And it just seemed like the MTV, I think, struggled a little bit with Headbangers Ball in the beginning. And then Ricky came in and kind of solidified it because he already knew these bands and the and the members of the bands. And he's, the, the booking seemed to get a lot better, like the live in-studio right. interviews. Well, it was Adam Curry right before Ricky. Right. And then Ricky was the, uh, he, he had the Cat House nightclub in right. L.A. So, you know, he was really tight with all these bands and he was good friends with Axl Rose and 
Axel basically got him the job as the host. So I think it probably was. I think Ricky probably was the host at this time because I, th- you know, it was, you know, it's still, it was when Guns N' Roses was still really big. So, yeah. Okay. All right. The Ballad of Jane. Number 41, The Ballad of Jane by L.A. Guns off their Cocked and Loaded album. Number 40 is something that you, you'll, I hadn't heard this song since it was on the radio. So we're going back, you know, you know, 1990. So okay. we're talking 33 years. So see if you can figure out which one this was. It took me a while. The voice might stand out to you. I used to think the love was a game. I used to make it just for fun. Oh yeah. When we spent the night together, it didn't mean it meant that much. Now I just can't live without your touch. I didn't wanna need This is hard, right? It's yeah, it's Sam Wilson. Yep. Yeah, I remember that song. I didn't want to need you as the song. So I'm, I'm. I mean, I don't know if you have the information, uh, if you if you research this, but was which direction were the two songs going at this point? With this the, one was going up, the other one was and going all I wanted to do is make love you was coming was was going down. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it was. This was at number forty. Yeah, I totally remember the song. And going up on up. Uh, I think it topped out in the twenties. Or was it like I didn't need to love you or? I didn't want to oh, need do, you. Yeah, want to need you. Okay. Yeah, but you're right. This was a uh, this was a Mutt Lang production, and uh, it was, a, it was another a very, Mutt Lang. It was a, it was a successful it was a successful album for Heart, and you know, unfortunately, with having something like MTV, and I think uh, you know, Anne, who still has, and, and I've mentioned before, you mentioned before, probably one of the best if not the best female rock voice of all time. And unfortunately, you know, she stood, didn't start to meet that MTV image. Correct. And I, th- I think as a band, sh- or, you know, they struggled. Uh, and I think in due part because MTV wasn't showing them. And they, like when they did the videos, they had to shoot her from the neck up. Right. And I- I'm sure that bothered her. Oh. That would have had to have bothered her. I'm sure her. it did. Uh, because you know a song like this is every bit as good as something that would have been on like the Bad Animals mm-hmm. album, which was the album before this, and yeah, but it didn't quite match the success of the singles that were. It, it, it ended up going up up the charts, and but it kind of stalled out about ten spaces or so. For but that's the heart sound that I like. Yeah, this that's more of what we're used to. So that you know, you threw me a little bit because you know you said I'd recognize who it was because the two songs are so close to each other. Right. Yeah. So um, I am going to tell you that there actually is another artist who will have two songs on this countdown. Okay. All right. So see if you can guess somewhere down the road. But that was Heart at number forty. I didn't want to need you from their Brigade album, and we're counting down the hits from. July eighth, nineteen ninety. You know, I do remember someone that had that album. Okay, John Smucker. Really, John Smucker. I remember getting it in the car, and he had the cassette tape there. And I remember I was like a little surprised at first, but you know, it's 
that you heard that song. That's a good rocking song in there. So the reason we we loved Countdowns, and, and uh, we've talked about it before, is I just absolutely loved, as a kid growing up, and I'm sure many of you listeners did as well, the great Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. And he was really the 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 king of the countdown. There, there were other guys that came along later that did countdowns. Uh, Rick Dees is probably the one that probably came the closest to Casey Kasem because he was on so long with America's Top 40. And then... Remember Shadow Stevens? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Shadow, Shadow Stevens. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he had was, like the long hair. He was one of the great pukers of, of yeah. all time. But I just loved, you know, Casey Kasem just had, he just had such an, um, I don't know, he, he had a real format. And it was kind of basic. And he would like try and give you some information. Like I remember back in 1983, Bonnie Tyler had Total Eclipse of the Heart. And, and Casey he before he announced you know before he actually played the number one song because it was the number one song in america he gave this whole like long description of a total eclipse of the sun okay (laughs) okay and and he's like and now our number one song total eclipse of the heart by bunny tyler all right and and you learned something i did you know you could go to school with that. that's the goofy thing about it it's like i know what a total eclipse of the sun is because of casey casey Mm -hmm. and now a letter he writes dear casey and um, will you please play Neil Diamond's Hello Again so I can contact my loved one across the country? Yep, that's what he would do. All right, Don, here's your song. And, it, you know, it was just, he was very, just so, it, was, it wasn't a whole lot of, like, super personality, but he just, he had a format. And mm-hmm. it just, it, there's a reason why guys like that stick around for, like, 30, 40 years. Okay. I just, yeah. So that's my reverence to to uh, Casey Kasem. Now coming in at number thirty nine is an artist that was originally discovered by Lionel Richie. See if you can guess who this artist is. Sean. Oh, Lionel Richie. Okay. Sounds like Richard Marks. That would be correct. Good guess. They yeah, because and, and Richard Marks, I think I mentioned during the 89 Moon Tune countdown that I was surprised it wasn't on the list. Mm-hmm. Because to me, 1989 screams Richard Marks. It does. But you had said that he came out like in the summer or later on. So now in 1990, and what month are we doing? This is July. July. So, you know, it's... It's probably still part of that same first album. Yeah. The album is called Repeat Offender. Yes. And that came out in late 1989. Now, I know this song, but what, I, but I forget. what's the title of this one? It's called Children of the Night. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Richard Marks is, is a guy who was kind of a wunderkin, uh, you know, a wunderkin okay. uh, performer. And, and Lionel Richie discovered him. Well, Lionel Richie recommended that he go to Los Angeles. Because I think at that point, uh, Richard was based in Chicago. And it was Lionel that said, uh, you'll make something of yourself if you go to L.A. Okay. And that's what he did. And, and you know, that kind of makes sense with this song, where it, it's one that I remember, but it's not something I think I've really have heard in 30 years, where it, it was at the end of the cycle, most sure. likely. Yeah. 
Yep, so that was our, and that song came in at number 39, Children of the Night by Richard Marks. Um, so that was, number, was uh, number 39. Number 38, I would, I'm not going to lie, Sean, I would be shocked if you actually got this particular one. Okay. So if you do, kudos to <laughs> you. And this is number 38. You'll, you'll know the band at some point. I know the song. I remember the song. Yeah, I'm not coming up with it. Who, who is the band? Well, the song is Kiss This Thing Goodbye. Right. The band is Delamitri. Yeah, okay. I, I wouldn't have come up with that. Yeah, I... I, 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 I never, never would have come up with that name. I have not heard this song since it was on the radio. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I 100% remember this, but no. no, I, in, in no way have I heard that since. They had a bigger album, the next one that came out after this. What was on that one? Uh, that was um, Roll, Roll to You. Look around your world, pretty baby. Okay, so that that was probably their most more signature song. But I listened to the song and I, and I really liked. Yes, yeah, good song. In part because I'm like, man, I don't think I've I have not heard this song since I heard it on the radio yeah. for the first time. Because you know the the lead singer's voice is, I mean, distinct. I mean, I I just was not able to place it. Sure. So that was number thirty-eight. Kiss this thing goodbye by Delamitri. See, isn't it great to rediscover things like this? I know, Where you, and especially songs that just did not get played to death. So that's that's nice. I like that. And the album is called Waking Hours. So number thirty-seven is a band that I, I think if you're into this type of style of music, you probably sit there and, and think to yourself, "I wonder why these guys weren't a little bit bigger." Like they they were big with the album, and then just kind of kind of drifted away oh this is modern English yeah that's John Waite's voice for sure bad English oh bad English right right bad English yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, John Wayne has a very distinct voice. Isn't it great? You know, you have so many <clears> artists <throat> on this. You're you were awakened by as soon as they open their open their yeah. mouth and started singing. You're like, oh, that's yeah, that's Ann Wilson. Oh, that's uh, Richard Marks. Oh, you know, that's that's John Wayne. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about having a unique voice. Sure. I think the great ones really are the, the great ones. As soon as they open their mouth, you know exactly who it is. And then you get Neil Sean in the background, you know, on guitar. Yeah. Who was that on drums? Was that Dean Castronova? It was, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, this was a good band. I mean, these guys these guys were really good. I, I, I you know, Journey fans are going to be mad at me. I, I think, was it was it Ricky Phillips as the bass player? Because I think he's in Journey now. 
Yes. I, I think what they did was they took literally took the rhythm section from Bad English, and they're now the rhythm section for Journey. Yeah, because John Kane is also you know. That's part right. Of this. John, Jonathan Kane's in this too. Yeah. Yep. Right. So this is Bad English Possession. So it's basically Journey with John Waite. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the song was at number number thirty seven, and you know Bad English at, around this time was extremely popular and they were they were a big deal them and damn yankees mm-hmm. i remember two supergroups kind of the kind of the competition you know who was who was going to be a little bit stronger a little bit better you know were you a damn yankees fan or were you a bad english fan i was a damn yankees i was fan. a damn yankees fan because yeah. we love tommy shaw we always have yeah um but that was and jack blades i was a, i was a fan yeah, of jack blades yeah that's true and and the nuge number 37 possession by bad english number 36 uh it'll take sean about I'm going to say Sean could name this song in four beats. Okay. Okay. All right. right, Pressure's on. Yeah. I have no problems naming that little band out of Pennsylvania, Poison, with the unskinny bop. There's C.C. DeVille chiming in there with the guitar. Oh, what a poet that Brett Michaels is. <laughs> I know he gets so offended at people back in the day that would criticize like his lyrics. But yeah, they were probably right. They were, they were pretty shallow. Oh, I think Every Rose Has a Thorn was a, pretty, was a nicely written song. I'm expecting to hear that on the list. It's some, well, I guess that was like that was two years earlier. That was, that was 88. Yeah. yeah. But this was July 1990. My brother and I would then see them. Was it September? November. November. Okay, yeah. so just a few months later, the, when the tour has kind of kicked off, we saw them at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if people would, if you want to debate, you know, whether or not this was Poison's, probably their, their peak, like they may have been their most popular, because they had already had the two albums previously right the, the one before being opened up and say ah mm-hmm. this was flesh and blood and i know they wanted to try and take a, a little bit of a of a different take because they do have some songs on this album uh, something to believe in was was it was them trying to be more mature as far as their song making and songwriting right. and so they did have a different little bit of a different sound you know the makeup's off at this point mm-hmm. and so they, they try to get they try to go bluesy with this one they did, and but uh, you know, CC's guitar is all over this, and CC uh, is one of the great, un, probably one of the really truly great guitarists in rock. That I guess you could probably say is underrated. You know, in the in the annals of like the best lists, uh, you know, CC. What I liked about him was he could he could rip it like just about anybody, but he had a sense of uh, keeping in with the song. Like this, like his solos didn't like go too far away from the rhythm section if you know what i'm saying right well um, you know people that uh you know like to rip the the guys in poison so they weren't good musicians and you know they were just kind of the posing rock stars that you know especially brett was you know the the pretty boy front man 
And I think Cece kind of gets thrown in that a little bit. I, and I'll also disagree. I, I think the the other guys, you know, Ricky Rocket and Bobby Daw were solid players. Sure. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't. They're certainly not going to make your list of, of, you know, they're you know Bobby Dahl's not Billy Sheehan and Ricky Rocket's not Neil Peart, but you know they're solid. But I think Cece was a really good musician. And and Cece really came up with almost all the rhythms uh, that you know for the music, like the 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 music part. You know, Brett did a lot of the lyric writing. Yeah, but as far as the actual riffs, those those were pretty much all CC. Now that being said, Skinny Bop's not one of my favorites. It's not. You know, it's it's. Not. it's I, I was always, I was always kind of, I don't want to say amazed, but the fact that that was the lead single off the album, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it surprised me a little bit because there are other songs on there that aren't even released as singles, uh, like Life Loves a Tragedy. I thought was a great song, and you know, there's. You just, I guess I'm trying to remember the the album uh, it, itself, but you know there there was um, like you said something to believe in was was I think that was the second one, and usually you would kind of release your ballad second, was the second yeah, and then ride the wind I think was oh, that's the right third that, and that last. was that was one for sure. So yeah, I mean it it just you know it was an okay song, and I guess you know it, the fact that it was poison it was it was bound to be a hit at that time because they were right. so hot. But you know, one that I don't think holds up quite as well as some of the other ones. No, and you, I'm glad you said about how some of your favorite Poison songs weren't actually released as singles. And I, and I think probably my two favorite Poison songs aren't singles. What, look off the first album, like "Look with the Cat well, Dragged that's, In." That is my that's my favorite yeah, Poison I, I, song. Yeah, and the other one is "Look But You Can't Touch." Right, I, I which love, was I, off "Opened Up and Say yeah, Ah." Yeah, I love I love that song. So, all right, so that was number 36, Poison, Unskinny Bop, off of the Flesh and Blood album. Number 35, huge song back in the day, was played a lot on the dance station, Hot 105.7, if you lived in the Lancaster area, Lancaster, York area. And I'm wondering, you know, this is where Sean's stepping out of his wheelhouse. Okay. He may or may not remember the song. I'm going to guess he's going to struggle a little bit on this one. I'm not going to struggle at all. I know this song. Really? Oh, yeah. There was like these three dudes... I remember the video. Okay. Giving all my, sending all my love to you. Very good. And uh, what the heck were these dudes called? I mean, it was some cheesy, like a Romeo's. I don't know what it was. You're gonna say Romeo Blue? I think that was Lenny Kravitz's band. I don't know what, what was it. Linear. Linear. Yes, it was. I knew it was something like that. I'm I'm impressed that you got sending all my love. Yeah. No. This this would have been if you. If you listen to in, in you if you listen to our um, us talk about the Rick's Place Dance Club, the Under Twenty One yeah. Dance Club, yeah, this was all over Rick's Place as well. So I, you know, I still like this type of music. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I was surprised. I would have thought you'd been you'd have looked at me like, nah, <laughs> not getting that yeah, one. Yeah, linear. So that was number thirty-five. Sending all my love by Linear. I mean, that was a sound that was prevalent. I mean, there's, there, I'm assuming there are going to be other artists on this list that are going to sound kind of like that. Yeah. How about the next one? Oh, okay. So let's go to number 34. And again, this is one that took me a while to, to remember the song.
They sound British. Very much so. For our listeners over in the UK. Give me a hint. So, do they have other hits? No. Oh, well, I'm not going to know. No. No. All right. So, I I remember the song being played on the radio. Yeah. I completely forgot about their name until I saw this list, you know, 33 years later, just a couple weeks ago. So, the song is called Pure, and I remembered that. But the band is called The Lightning Seeds. (laughs) Never. I don't even think I knew that back in 1990 and the name of the album is Cloud Cuckoo Land alright but the Lightning Seeds like you said they're from England yeah and they were they were more popular over in the UK than they were here in the States this was the this album had a little bit of success I think it looked it up I think it got as high as like number 45 on the album charts so it was you know it had some success in the US but this was their one hit really that that you would, if you listen to it, you would remember from listening to the radio back in the day, 1990. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I even remember that okay. song at all. All right, so that was number 34, Pure by the Lightning Seeds, and their album was called Cloud Cuckoo Land. Okay. All right. Creative title. So now the the first uh, one that's coming up, number 33, is no longer available on Spotify. You can view it on uh, different uh, platforms if you'd like. But the song is actually called Notice Me, and the artist is Nikki. And what I have, you know, just did a little bit of research on Nikki. And Nikki was a, uh, you know, I listened to the song because I'm like, I just, I'm just not like visualizing what, what the song is. And so it's a ballad. It's a slow ballad. And Nikki, as soon as I heard him open his mouth. I was going to say, is Nikki a boy or a girl? Nikki is a male. All right. I don't remember. I don't, he, I don't remember the name. I don't remember the song. But he has a really high voice. Okay. Okay. And just from what I've read, very kind of a behind the scenes. This was this was the one he released, uh, you know, a couple albums in the early 90s. And they kind of focused on a behind the scenes career music, did some songwriting, actually did work with his wife, who you might know a little bit better, Martika. Do you know oh, the yeah. name Martika? Yeah, Toy Soldiers. And they've been married. They've been married for over 20 years, and they, they do music, they write songs, and they, they work together. And that's what he has, that, that's what he's done. This is his one chart, we had a charting hit. I think the other song came out at like number 69 on the US Hot 100. Well, I'm disappointed so, I don't get to hear the song. So unfortunately, you cannot listen to it on Spotify, so you'll have to find it elsewhere. That was number 33, and the song is called Notice Me, and the artist is Nikki. So let's go to number 32. And number 32 is somebody that is going to bring a smile to my big brother's face. So, okay. I don't know. It's, it's just a thing with me. You know, if I see something that I like, it's. Uh, That's right. And I like what I see, baby. Uh, if Morris sees something he likes, I can mm, feel he just goes for it. Of course, it's Morris Day. And the time. Oh, it's still with the time? Oh, he wasn't solo at this point? They actually, he had gone solo, and then they reunited to do uh, to do some the music together. Remember they did the, the uh, movie with Prince, Graffiti Bridge? Yeah. They reunited to do that. Morris playing a very central character in that. 
and so they decided to come back with an album. So this is the, they actually came out as the time, and this is Jerk Out number three, and the album's called Pandemonium. So Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, they're all part of this. Ah, good. Morris Day. I mean, how one of a kind? How did Morris not have a bigger career? I know. He was he was so good in Purple Rain, and I, you and I have said this before in our in our album soundtracks. We liked the Times songs better in the movie than we liked the Prince songs in the movie. I liked Morris so much more than the kid. And it was it, it was just it was funny to me because it's like we're rooting for the other guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> the first time that we saw the movie, and there's a lot of people that felt that way. Yeah, and I I don't think that went over well with Prince. It didn't, that, and and that actually because Morris and Prince they were tight they going were into the movie, super tight, and it did it did cause some some bad blood and. Yeah, they kind of mended fences, and there was yeah, they did, especially right before Prince died. You know, Morris yeah. says that they they became friends again. Yeah, they were able they were able to reconcile. Fortunately, because yeah, there was a long long time where they were not they were not speaking to each other at all. Well, it, for our listeners that actually paid attention to the lyrics, I know I was talking over top of that quite a bit, but Morris didn't lack for confidence. No, uh, you know, kind of a cocky guy. So he was he was going to milk the spotlight whenever he got it, and he wasn't afraid to take it away from Prince. But he was, but he was one of those guys that, as as arrogant as he could be, you you found it hard to get angry with him because <laughs> right. he was so charming. Sure, right, yeah. So that was that was uh, number thirty two, uh, jerk out number three. By the time from the album Pandemonium. So moving on in our top forty countdown. What do you think so far? What do you think of this list so far? I like it so far. I mean, other than the Nikki song, which I didn't get to hear, okay. and the cuckoo cloud one, yeah, I, I, th- I didn't, which I wasn't really familiar with. I, I think this, I think this uh, list gets stronger as as we. But I, I mean, I, I like the music. I like the the style that was happening at the time. Yeah. All right. So let's go to number uh, thirty one, and this is a very well known song from that time period. <laughs> So this is Faith No More. Yep. And the song's epic. It is. And I think to me, one you know, one of the signature songs of the nineteen nineties. You think so? I think it's still and it still holds up for me. I think if you were to, to go back and pull like some of the great songs of when you're talking pre grunge, yeah. This has to rank right up there. In it's in the done in the same it kind of has like a a throwback sound to it from the well it was a throwback to what was five years before which was run dmc doing hard rock with aerosmith right and you started to see the embrace of 
hard rock and rap kind of doing this meld mm-hmm. this this combining of these two sounds and i think epic to me is like kind of like the quintessential hard rap song where you you got a band that is primarily known as being hard rock heavy metal and they're they're based they're rapping in a song and i think that's that's all all you know pat on the back back to run dmc and aerosmith and this song i really liked when it came out and it combined my two favorite genres in 1990 yeah because you and i were fans of both i was a big hip-hop fan and as we've stated many times the, the hard rock heavy metal scene was my genre right and it i think we weren't the only ones i think there was a huge group of people that when a song like this comes out yeah, you know, there's a lot. There's millions of people that are like, "Yeah, this is awesome," especially young males yeah. like you and I were at the time. Well, and you know, this is a very famous video. Yeah, you know, I thought of the video, especially at the end where they're playing the piano and the fish is flopping around. Yeah, um, you know, of course, the you had people that were outraged that they allowed a fish to like gasp for air, or not gasp for air, but gasp and flop around on the floor. Yeah. But that is a very distinct visual from 1990. Yeah, to me, as soon as I hear the song, it's kind of the images of the fish flopping yeah. on screen. So that was number number 31, Epic by Faith No More. One of the real great songs of that summer. I, I just remember being played almost the entire summer Yeah, when we would go out with our and hang out with our friends. And I remember you know, someone coming up to me before they, you know, when they heard the song for the first time, they said, I came to mind. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're like, you like that song, don't you? And I'm like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, we know you, because it's like both my two favorite types of music. You know me. All right. Let's go to number 30 and see if Sean can, he'll probably figure out the artist at some point, but let's see if he can figure out the song. <laughs> Well, it sounds like Janet Jackson. Sounds it is. Yeah. It is Janet Jackson. I'm trying to come up with a song. I mean, I, I remember it. Wait till the chorus comes in. Yeah. You'll, you'll probably, you'll, you'll remember the chorus. I really like Janet at this time, around to me so that's the, that's the name of the song the title is come back to me by janet jackson and this is off the incredible rhythm nation 1814 
album. Did that have Escapade on it? It did. Yeah. It, it had so many hits on it. Uh, it was almost top to bottom. She had seven or eight top ten hits off of this album. But this, this is a good song. This is a great song, and this is probably the one that gets played the least. Uh, yeah, I I haven't really heard it, but you know, Scott and I have talked frequently about a show that used to be on the air called Christopher Knight's Between the Sheets. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the type of song that he would have played. Absolutely, yeah. And it was uh, perfect for the, the time when you're talking summer 1990. For the most part, we're, we're playing a lot of happy, upbeat songs so far in this top 40. This is really a, kind of the first time we, we slowed it down just, just a little right. bit. And we've mentioned many times how you kind of like those like Disney type of ballads. You know, oftentimes if you're in the I Disney do. movies. Where I do. Th- this would be the type of ballad that I like. Yeah, and, and this is uh, like Rhythm Nation 1814 was really was really a masterpiece. And uh, I've said that about some What, what was the date you called it? One other time, eighteen twelve. <laughs> I said, I said it was, uh, you know, James Madison, <laughs> the War of eighteen twelve, R- R- yeah. Rhythm Nation, eighteen twelve. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, that was Janet Jackson and Come Back to Me from Rhythm Nation, eighteen fourteen, and that was number thirty on our top forty countdown from July eighth, nineteen ninety. Moving on, Sean, to number twenty nine, and another one. I. You've you've already surprised me so far in this countdown, so you might you might be able to get this one as well. Wait, so this is Christopher Nice between the sheets. We're just gonna roll into another one. Uh, is this Jody Watley? No, it sounds a little bit like Jody. It does. All right, I'll let it play a little bit. This would be considered a girl band. A really popular girl band. Mm-hmm. There were two. There were two uh, girl bands from New York City. Yeah, Cover Girls. Well, there were three girl yeah. bands from New York City. All right, so it's not the Cover Girls. So it's not the Cover Girls. Two of them are on this list. Yeah, once you say the name, I'm going to know who it is. I would, you know, if you would have asked me, I would say. The, this band, they had better voices, in my opinion. What's the first letter? S. S. Uh, now I'm not coming up with it. Who is it? So this would be Seduction. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And the song is Could This Be Love? I was thinking of the other band that I can't come up with a name that you say is going to be on the list. So yeah. yeah, Seduction, yeah. Seduction had, had a pretty pretty good three-year run from 1989 to 1991. And this was one of their bigger hits it ended up going a little bit further up in the charts mm-hmm. it's number 29 right now kind of so. has that lisa lisa and the cult jam it has that like, new york yeah, new york sound it does it really does and which i you know like a lot you know you know where my preference is towards that style it's got a little more a little more street sound to it yeah as opposed to when it's like really we have the orchestra yeah so that was number 29 could this be loved by seduction you're gonna love and you're gonna love number twenty-eight. One of my, one of my, still one of my favorite songs ever. To the Humpty Dance, uh, Humpty Dance. So this is Digital Underground with the Humpty Dance. 
We gotta let it play out yeah. a little bit. Alright, stop what you're doing, cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see? So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round. I'm the new fool in town, and my sound's laid down by the underground. I'm drinking a bottle of Hennessy you got on your shelf. So just let me introduce myself. My name is Humpty. Pronounced with the Humpty. Yo, ladies, oh, how I like to funk thee. And all the rappers in the top ten, please allow me to bump thee. I'm stepping tall, y'all. And just like Humpty Dumpty, you're gonna fall when the stereos pump me. I like to rhyme. I like my beats funky. I'm spunky. Would this like be considered offensive nowadays? I don't know. But wasn't Tupac in this video? Wasn't he one of the dancers in the background? Oh, he could have been. I, I think I so. I don't know that for sure. I think he kind of got to start with Digital Underground just okay. as a background dancer. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise would, me. And the, the, the lead singer, or rapper, I mean, he had the fake nose on. He did, yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this is just one of the great songs of that summer. Yeah. Didn't he have a big cigar as well? At certain points he did, yeah. yeah. I don't remember him having it in the music video for this song, but I, you know, when he would perform on Yo! MTV Raps, I, I think he was carrying yeah. a cigar around. So that was number 28, The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. And the name of the album is <clears throat> Sex Packets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, they were. They that were was popular. That especially in MTV, that video got played a ton. Oh, I I, I do apologize. That was number twenty-seven. Oh, the, yeah, the title of the album wrong. Number number twenty-eight was a song that is no longer available on Spotify. It was an artist that I had a hard time uh, coming across. So that was the the song was actually called "Sitting in the Lap of Luxury," and the artist's name is Louis Louis, who actually is um, from uh, Puerto Rico, I believe. Okay. So he kind of had that Latin mambo. It was that mambo slash New Jack Swing kind of sound, linear, and a little bit more, a little bit more uh, New York sound than okay. than what linear was. But it was a song that ended up going up a few more spaces. But that was number twenty eight. Was Louis Louis sitting in the lap of luxury? Number twenty seven was the Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. See, Casey Case would be so mad at me right now. <laughs> uh, if he'd be like. You need to be prepared. <laughs> Take two. Yeah. But we don't do two takes. It's down on the phone. Get down on the phone. You know what, Casey? We run tape. We don't We don't edit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we don't. See, man, playing these, they play, right, seeing these letters coming out of these Uptown Records, man. Yeah. And where are the, where are the envelopes I ordered or whatever? There's a very famous um, rant of Casey Kasem. Oh, yeah, there that, is, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, and yeah. I'm basically trying to redo it here. And, I'm not and, doing and a, people are listening saying, what is he talking about? Not, and I'm not doing a very good job. Here's a letter. I'm Casey Kasem. And anyway, so that was number 27, The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. Let's go to number 26. And a guy who had a couple of hits... See if you can remember this particular artist. You know, New Jack Swing. Mm-hmm. Right about now, my brother is entering the dance floor at Rick's place. 
How would you have been dressed that evening? Well, you had to be dressed well. Yeah. You had to wear at least a college shirt and pants and no jeans. Right. At Rick's place. What kind of shoes? Uh, probably dock size, no socks. That's, I, I was thinking dock size for sure, <laughs> yeah. I know this song. With the uh, pant legs rolled. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll never come up with it. I mean, a wild guess would be like a Timmy T sort of name. You know, you're not that far off. It's George Lamond. Okay. George Lamond. It's called Bad of the Heart by George Lamond. Another New York, New Jack Swing sound. I don't know that I knew who sang that. I mean, I re- okay. recognize it, but I don't think I ever knew the artist. Yeah, George Lamond ended up coming out. You know, this song was 1990. And then around 1999... He had a little bit of a comeback with with another song that that ended up charting in the top twenty, but he was he was kind of known as a dance club guy. Sure. Yeah. You know, obviously, this music is very bouncy and very uh, you know has has some pep to it. As but a lot of them do from this from this particular countdown, which to me is is one of the, I think it's one of the one of the things that I take away from this particular summer. Remember when. We did the uh, the countdowns, and I did mine from 1989, my senior year in mm-hmm. high school. Remember how many ballads were on that? There oh, were yeah. a lot. There yeah. were a lot of slow songs on that. This this doesn't have a ton. A year later. Yeah. So we're the, just uh, one year later. Class of 89 is ready to party. And we're already bouncing around. Yeah. So. Band of the Heart by George Lamont, and the name of the album is Band of the Heart. So moving on to our next song on our Top 40 Countdown, going to number 20. Five, and Sean will probably at some point recognize the artist, but I don't know if he will recognize the song because this one wasn't out for very long. Still, at number twenty-five is pretty high. So I do remember the song. Okay. Uh, it, was it by a big artist? Yeah. Yep. It's 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 somebody like Madonna or Bette Midler or somebody like that. Well, is it Madonna or is it <laughs> Bette Midler? Oh, so I'm close. Yes, you are. Who's Bette Midler? Uh, it's Madonna. It's Madonna. Okay. The song is Hanky Panky. Yeah. And this was off the album of music that was inspired by the movie remember the movie the big movie of the summer dick tracy dick tracy saw it in the theater with warren Beatty. yeah yeah who ended up being uh her boyfriend for you know, about a year i think did you see it in the theater 
I did then? not. I did not. It was that was the major motion picture release of the summer. It was a big deal. Yeah, they yeah. made a lot of they had a lot of promotion behind that. And we mentioned this before that Gen X, especially my age group, really liked the retro throwback. Yes. You know that with that whole movie Swingers, where they kind of are going to the clubs and they're they're listening to the big band music. My age group, three years older than you, really was into that. Well, that you mentioned that, and I think part of Madonna's greatness is she's able to recognize sounds that are going to be popular. Mm-hmm. And she kind of gets it ahead of time. And this, if it's 1990, it's it's a couple of years before that hits. And but it becomes an explosion. I mean, 1995 is probably when it became it's where it was across the country. Right. I think in California. It might have been out ninety early nineties. Well, Swingers I think came out in ninety three. Well, okay. I think that was I think ninety three or ninety four. Was I think it was ninety four. Is when is when Swingers came out, but yeah. But at, it was filmed earlier. But it, you know, at that point, then that was a lot of music, and there was Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, mm-hmm. and but it's this whole kind of like you said, it's a throwback sound. Yeah, it's a, it's a retro sound, and I think those of us that were in Gen X were always sort of. a drawn and attracted towards this type of music yeah yeah i i have not heard this one in a long time i don't know if i've heard it since it was on the charts okay but it's good i like it yeah so that was number 25 hanky panky by the great madonna so going to number 24 is another one this is this is one of the other girl bands that we had talked about previously see if you can come up with a name Jumps out at you. Sure does. I knew you were going to play this band, and I can't come up with their name. (laughs) Who who is it? Sweet Sensation. Yes, and and I should have said it. That's what I was thinking. Sweet Sensation had two really popular albums. Yeah. First one came out in 1989. The other one came out uh, this year in 1990. And they were they were chart toppers. They probably I think they ended up having five or six top 20 hits just right. in that short period. They were all over the radio this time. I think I remember seeing them perform on um, that. Uh, Live at the Apollo. They would have, they, you know, they were popular enough of a crossover band where they would appear on something like that. Sure. This isn't a song that gets played much. No, and it, it was a, it was a really popular song when it when it was out there. You no, know, you don't hear it very much. I at all. don't know that. I, I mean, it's been years since I've heard this. Yeah. Isn't it interesting when you think about geography and music and and time periods? Because right now, in the summer of 1990, it really seems like New York is ruling mm-hmm. 
a lot of these a lot of these songs are from artists who kind of made their home base in New York City. It's kind of shifted from LA. It has. And then eventually, you know, it heads northwest to Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. It's just to me it's like it just goes to show how the record industry has sort of operated. It's like they latch on to something and they really they really, you know, I wouldn't say bled it, but they really took everything out of it that they could. There was a brief little time where they predicted that Philadelphia was going to be one of those areas. Right. You know, it's kind of when the Rick Chertoff factory was happening. Yeah. You know, it was Cindy Lauper, and then it was the Hooters, and then Tommy Conwell came out, you know, Robert Hazard was yeah. in there, and it just seemed like, oh, they were going to become the next thing, and it didn't happen. Well, you and I really liked Tommy Conwell. Yeah. Um and, and Tommy, and, if you're listening, we do like you. It's still like you. Yeah, because Tommy, Tommy has has worn many hats and still plays to this day. And but he is actually he took a turn back on the um, when it was still rock radio before it became all sports, which was ninety four WYSP. And you know Tommy Conwell was was a DJ mm-hmm. on there, and he had a show. Just seemed like the coolest guy. Yeah, uh, his his brother Joe actually was an offensive lineman for the Eagles. That he was. He was one of the replacement, they, one of the scab players of 87. And he ended up, he was good enough, he actually ended up being on the team afterwards. They kept him. So uh, Tommy Conwell, there's a, there's a name. I and the Young Rumblers. Haven't brought up in a long time. So, But this was number 24, If Wishes Came True. And the uh, band is Sweet Sensation. All right, moving on in our top 40 countdown. Going into number 23, and this is an artist that we've already heard hmm. on this. Okay. This is the second artist. This is the second one. All right. And this is one of the more famous songs this artist what has put out. What are you looking at? This is definitely much more famous of the two songs. Sure. Since it's a build-up, I'll give you some Madonna Vogue <laughs> while we're waiting. If I'm not mistaken... I think that is Madonna in the background playing the drum. Okay. Well, she did come up playing the drums. She was a drummer. Yeah. Strike the pose. Well, if you want to talk about a ubiquitous video, it was this one. Oh, like every other hour, it was on MTV. Strike the pose. This you you could argue and say this is one of the the most famous videos in MTV history. I, I yeah. Definitely in the 90s, but I think you could put that up there with, with all of MTV's history, sure.
So I'm going to throw a, uh, a comparison out there, Sean. Okay. And see if you understand where I'm going with this. Because of all the artists in music history, the artists that I compare Madonna to the most, or you know, say that there's a lot of similarities in how they were in their careers and how they were musically. Believe it or not, it's Frank Sinatra. Okay. Okay. Because... Now, Madonna wrote some of her own songs, but typically Not many. didn't write, write a lot. But I think what made those two singers and artists so special and so great is they were uh, you know, profound in uh, taking songs and hearing them and kind of putting their own stamp on it. Like, Sinatra would do that too. He would, he would get a song that was given to him and he would work really hard with the orchestra to kind of make it his. And they said Madonna, although she wasn't necessarily the person that's going to create the words and lyrics, she could listen to it and then kind of make it better. You know, okay. add sounds to it, add, maybe add a line or two there. And I think that is is kind of the true greatness of there are there are artists out there that that don't write their own material and. I think, but yet everything that Madonna did was uniquely Madonna. And she had such a good ear for what she felt or that she knew that the public was going to embrace and like at that particular time because she changed her sound so many times. Right. And she was the perfect artist for the Gen X era in, well, the MTV generation because she combined the visuals with the music. Her visuals were every bit a part of her image. And, and sound, I mean, it's like, as I'm listening to this, I'm seeing the video. Right. And she created a dance. Now, whether she was the one that created it, but she had a team. Mm -hmm. And it, she, through every different stage that she goes through, she recreates herself, uh, both the way she sounds, but also how she looks. Sure. And, you know, the, the, the two songs that she has on this chart are only three apart but could they have sound sounded more different i thought she was bet midler <laughs> yeah the first I, one you know it, you that's that's a kind of a doo-wop bop sound that would have right. been played in the 40s and 50s right and or at a broadway show and now she you know this song vogue is something that was very contemporary and something that you would hear in every dance club yeah right so i just thought that was uh interesting uh, madonna's her second time on this chart at number 23 with Vogue, it is now falling, because at one point it was number one. Uh, so she's on her way down the chart, but still very popular nonetheless at number 23. Number 22 is another song that kind of really defines that early part of 1990, and you'll recognize this one instantly. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Oh, 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 oh. MC Hammer can't touch this yeah and and when this album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, came mm -hmm. out, it really jumped on MTV. I mean, they they fully went behind this. And what a charismatic guy. I mean, he 
wore the kind of the outrageous outfits. He was always known for the MC Hammer pants, right? Which were you know twenty sizes too baggy. And but MC Hammer, man, he, the guys lived quite a life. Yeah, you know, as a little kid, well, I wouldn't say as a little kid, but as a young teenager, he was the bat boy for the Oakland A's back when they were a great team. Mm-hmm. And do you know the story with with him as far as him being a bat boy? Yeah, and wait, that's how he got the nickname because they said he looked like Hank Aaron. They said he looked like Hank Hammer, Aaron. Hammer and Hank Aaron. And he was the clubhouse mole. Oh, I didn't know. Charlie that. Finley, the owner of the Oakland oh, A's, he'd report back to Finley. He would call him on the on the phone in the clubhouse and basically tell him if if this guy or that guy was misbehaving and then he would either get traded or released. <laughs> okay. And, and the players didn't know that he was the mole until about, you know, about a year later. And, and then after that, he was, he was gone. Right. But it turns out MC hammer was the, was the, uh, de facto, uh, uh, eavesdropper on the locker room for the owner of the baseball team. And this song obviously is sampling Rick James is super free. Mm-hmm. And it's been quite controversial. It was. I think that's part of the reason why I was drawn to it immediately because you and I love the song Super Freak so much. Right. And you instantly recognize the song. And at this point, how much sampling was really mainstream in, in hip hop music? It probably wasn't a ton because a lot of the biggest hip hop acts were doing their own original material, such as a Run DMC or such as uh, Beastie Boys. You know, those are some of the biggest names that come to mind. Well, the Beasties did a lot of sampling. Now, uh, Jazz, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, you know, they did sampling, but it was it, it was more obscure music. And this was really the first time you had a mainstream song really kind of jump out at you, uh, you know, from the, from the get-go. Well, I mean, it's basically the entire song, Super Freak. Just with rapping over top of it, right? So that's probably a little bit different. I mean, they would do samples, you know, little little piece here or there. I think it was, you know, done frequently. You know, like Young MC, it's he's got, uh, you know, he's got Van Halen with one song, and or, or like Funky Cold Medina, I think, is a Van Halen cover. And but it's just oh, like true. it's just yeah. like the drum roll, but it's not like the entire song, right? Yeah. Where here it's basically Super Freak. It is, and like you said, like with Funky Cold Medina. Uh, you know, there's there's little bits and pieces sure. that the Dust Brothers did that, but it it's not necessarily they took a riff, right? Exactly. So that was "You Can't Touch This" by MC Hammer. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. And that came in at number twenty-two. So our last song here in part one is another song for one of the one of the great hard rock albums of this era. That is, um, you know, part of, it. and this is where the album is fully. Uh, not quite all the way through its run, but it's probably in the middle of its peak at this point of popularity. One of the, one of the best.
This is Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. This is Vince, Nikki, Tommy, Nick, and Girl, Don't Go Away, or, or Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away, mm-hmm. off the humongous Dr. Feelgood album. Yeah, this this was a monumental album, I think, in, in not only in their career, but of the time period. This was on, it, it came out in the fall of 1989, I remember very specifically. So the, the album is just about a year in at this point. We're almost almost at the year point. And there's still a couple more songs that still have to, to come out yet. Same old situation still has to come out. Yep. And Kickstart My Heart, I think, hadn't oh, been out. I don't think I, so. I don't think so. But this was absolutely a huge album. And the irony of Motley Crue, and kudos to those guys for kind of figuring out how to work together because it wasn't always easy. Well, we're seeing that now because, you know, Mick is out of the band, and I think they're suing each other. So they're, they're, they're in the courts, which, yeah. you know, they had a business relationship for many years. Right. Where Mick, due to physical uh, reasons, can't tour, so as a result, now they're starting to fight. Yeah. And it's, it's always been a roller coaster kind of up-and-down relationship. And when they made this album, Dr. Feelgood, the, the funny part of the irony of of when they went out to tour the Dr. Feelgood uh, tour, they actually had, they played together for the first time. This album, which was put together by Bob Rock, mm-hmm. who's a very famous Canadian uh, producer and sound engineer. Metallica's producer. And he also did uh, Slippery When Wet with, with Bon Jovi. Oh, well, he wasn't the producer. He was the he was, engineer. He was the sound engineer. Yeah, yeah. he was the engineer. Yeah. So, you know, he used to, he, he, he was a big time engineer before he became producer. And then I think the first band that he really worked with was the cult i think he did sonic temple okay and right about that time he did sonic temple then he goes into his motley crew then he does the black album for metallica so in 1990 bob rock is the it producer but what i found that was really interesting about the making of dr feelgood is the fact that they all did they recorded entirely at separate times they reserved slots and he put this whole album together without a single band member being in there together, which I think is remarkable. Yeah. When you when you think about it, and they had to go out and learn how to play these together at the same time when they went out on tour. Now, granted, they're they're good musicians, so that they there was really no trouble. But they actually had to practice after the album was made to go out on tour to to actually play the music, which I thought was was kind of funny in, in a way. but that's... I'm a little surprised that, uh, like, you know, Nikki Six would not have wanted to have been in there at all times because he wrote all the songs. He did. And, I mean, let's face it, Motley Crue was his band. And and Dr. Feelgood was very much his album because that was, they he had just come out of the heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. And so, like, songs like Kickstart the Heart, uh, Kickstart My Heart, Dr. Feelgood, those, those songs are... They're kind of anti-drug I, songs. I mean, they're really him. Yeah. His, you know his his uh, his personal music, and at this point, they they said the thing with with Nikki is he was always two extremes. Like when he was a drug addict, drug addict, there was no worse drug addict in the world than Nikki Six. You know, like he was just over the edge, and then he cleaned up and got sober, and then he became such a militant sober guy yeah. that he started driving the other guys crazy, and he was just like this swirling dervish of of activity and he's somebody that always just has to kind of keep going and i i know it's 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 tough it wears on people um after a while and they just said 
you know, not only was he anti-drug, but he was like militant anti-drug. Sure. And, and those guys better not do anything. And, and it was just, it was funny how he went from one extreme to the other. Well, I, I heard him talk about the song Kickstart My Heart, which wasn't the one you just played, but right. he said that it that's all about it, like adrenaline. And if you remember the video, it's about skydiving. They oh. talk about skydiving in the song. You know, it, it's funny that, I don't know why Gavin and I were talking about it the one time, but I think we were probably watching a Phillies game and Chase Utley walked up and he very famously has Led Zeppelin's Cashmere as his walk-up music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as soon as you heard it, you knew exactly, like, enter Sam in for Mariano Rivera. Uh, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, what would your walk-up song be? And I said, for me, it's Kickstart My Heart. It's off the Dr. Feelgood album. so. And Nicky said the reason he wrote the song was because while he was no longer doing drugs, he still had that need for that thrill. Mm-hmm. And so he's, like you're saying, he's a very intense person, and he's, he's not going to give up his extreme uh, personality. Sure. So that was number 21, Don't Go Away, Mad, Just Go Away. Just by, Go Away. By Motley Crue off the Dr. Feelgood album. And that's going to take us to the end of uh, part one of our Top 40 Countdown from September 8th, 1990. As I, I think, as I told you, it it kind of is gaining steam as we go along. I think you're starting... I was surprised that you recognized some songs early on. Yeah. So you're hanging, you're hanging you with us. You didn't know I was there. listening to that club music. Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. So um, as we let the crew take us out at the end of part one... Uh, no, I think I think this is this is a good countdown so far, and we're getting again as with Gen X, we're getting all different types of music mm-hmm. here, which I think is is very enjoyable, and, and a lot of songs that maybe you haven't heard in a while. Oh, there's been a lot of songs that I haven't heard, but I, I've I've enjoyed them, and I, and I'm I'm glad to have the refresher. Yeah, so that's the end of part one. Uh, thank you for listening to the Gen X Playback Show from the countdown of the Billboard Hot 100 from July 8th, 1990. So stay tuned for part two. We're going to take it home and bring it from number 20 all the way to number one. So we are the Brothers High, and we thank you for listening. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we'll talk to you then. See ya.